I'm starting to learn my cue. So I beat, I beat him up here. If you received one of these this morning, I would really encourage you to write down your prayer for this church body. And there's a basket out there. Don't put your name on it. And write it down. Put it in the basket. If you haven't already done that, I would encourage you to do that. We want to make a prayer booklet. And uh, when I went through the directory, uh, we have about 200 adults. And then we have all the youth and college and career that are in there, but uh, not separate. So we should have about 200 plus prayers. And uh, I would really encourage you to do that. Write down your prayer of what you would like to see God do and what God's laying upon your heart for this church body. And stick it in there. Uh, we will be making up a prayer booklet then. And every one of us then will get a prayer booklet. And I would encourage you then to uh, pray through those prayers uh, at your family time or uh, prayer time whenever you have that to work through those prayers. And we will be doing that as a body corporately as well of lifting them up and praying those prayers. We had a good meeting on Thursday evening and I kind of give an update as to what the transitional pastor is all about. And uh, if you want to uh, watch that, I think it's on video. Yeah, we, we recorded it. So just talk to Dr. Greg Gregory there, and he will help you out with that as well, if you want to uh, find out a little bit more information. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We want to continue working through the Lord's Prayer, and in your bulletin, there's a little worksheet there for you. I, I hope that you, some of you have been working through that with your family or even uh, personally or as a couple. Uh, throughout the week. Uh, this one here, I, again, I would encourage you to follow along and to uh, work through that. There's also a little bit of an outline there in your bulletin to follow along if you want to as well. So we've been working through this Lord's Prayer. And today we come to that part in the Lord's Prayer as he was teaching the disciples how to pray that deals with forgiveness. And uh, whenever I start preaching on this heavy stuff like this, uh, I mess up greatly all through the week. So I'm human. <laughs> so the Lord is talking to me as much as he's talking to all of us as we go through this forgiveness piece. And I want to talk about and look at what Scripture has to say about forgiveness in our prayer lives. And so you may want to write down some notes. You may want to uh, jog a few things down, especially if they uh, challenge you. Maybe the Lord has laid that out there for a reason. We're going to examine this part of the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to take a look at it in depth about what it means to receive God's forgiveness and what it means to extend forgiveness to others. Again, when I was a kid, and I was a youth, going to the Christian school, the whole idea was to see how fast you could rattle off the Lord's Prayer. And you didn't think about the words that you were saying. And you didn't think about the implications of what it means. And as we've been diving into this Lord's Prayer, we first saw that it was a template, a template for us to follow. 
okay? And we see that our God wants us to approach him like Father, climbing up on his knee, Abba Father. We also see that we need to pray according to God's will, that we have our desires and what we want, but then God has his. And when we say that, thy will be done, we are giving out and we're praying three affirmations and we walk through that. This morning, I want to take a look at forgiveness. When Jesus talks about forgiveness, forgiving our debts here, he's not talking about canceling our visa bill or our MasterCard. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? He's not saying, I zeroed it out. This prayer reflects a Jewish concept that all our lives are on loan from God. Okay? That our lives are on loan from God. And every time we act in a way that violates the Creator's principles for how to live, that puts us in debt before God. And because we have violated those principles that God has created us to live by, we need forgiveness. And so this word refers to the moral debt incurred by our sins, because of our sins. And we all mess up. Some of us live better than others. We're able to manage ourselves better than others, but we all mess up. We've all done something wrong. When it talks about it, it refers to our sin or our inactions, okay? The things that we should have done but we didn't do. I don't know how many of you have been there, but I even ran into that myself yesterday. The things that I should have done, I didn't do. And the things that I do but should not have done. Any of you wrestled with that? That dilemma? Well, this is what the Lord is speaking about. Notice what this prayer is really saying. Let's just take a look at it. Verse 12, it says this. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Notice it does not say this. And this is sometimes where we put our spins on it. It does not say forgive us our debts as we promise to forgive our debtors. Or it doesn't say this. Forgive our debts as we will someday forgive our debtors. It doesn't say that. It is past tense. To forgive us as we have already forgiven our debtors. Now that's an amazing statement. That we're all asking God, and here's the thing. 
that really hits me between the eyes. We're all asking God to treat our sins the same way we have treated those who have sinned against us. That's pretty powerful when we think about it. Treat us, God, the same way that I'm treating my debtors. Whenever we pray this prayer with an unforgiving heart, we are really asking God not to forgive our sins. That's what we're asking. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this Lord's Prayer series that we started, that Jesus talked about this prayer and shared this prayer in two passages. One in Matthew and one in Luke. And he, he was talking privately to his closest followers. And that conversation, if you go to Luke chapter 11, you're going to see it there. Luke chapter 11, <clears throat> verse 2. And Luke has a little bit different. Look at what it says there in verse 4. Forgive our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Forgive our sins. As we forgive everyone who sins against us. There's no exception given in this prayer. I know sometimes it's easy to wrestle with that. It does not say as we forgive those who are truly sorry for what they have done. It does not say as we forgive those who have a good excuse for their sin against us. He says everyone. Everyone. Now this part of the Lord's Prayer deals with both receiving God's forgiveness and extending forgiveness to others. And so this morning I want to dive into that. I want to bring that out a little bit further. Receiving God's forgiveness. If you go to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 John 1 9 speaks about it very powerfully if you take your fingers and quickly turn to 1 John 1, 9. It says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. Now the Bible talks about two different kinds of forgiveness we receive from God. Two different kinds. 
And most Christians, most of us as Christ followers, we fail to understand these two distinct aspects of forgiveness. And this lack of understanding leads to all sorts of problems and misunderstandings in our spiritual life as we continue to grow. And it's vitally important to understand these two distinct kinds of forgiveness. So here we go. The first kind of forgiveness that the Bible talks about is a forgiveness, a forgiven status, which the Bible calls justification. And we don't use that word very much anymore. If we did, a lot of people would say, what do you mean by that? Here's what it is. That's what it is. The forgiven status. Okay? Romans 5.1 is an example of the kind of forgiveness that God is talking about. Therefore, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith through grace. Not by what we've done, but by what Jesus Christ has done. That forgiven status. And the word justified or justification does not get used much in our world today. And if it does, it's not usually very positively. We think of someone who tries to justify themselves by making excuses for what they've done. That certainly is not what the Bible is talking about here. The Greek word here is legal term. That means that we're made right with someone. We're made right with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. The word picture that comes to mind is a person standing in a law court, accused of some crimes, and the evidence is presented. And if the judge determines that that person is not guilty of the crime, the judge acquits the person, declaring the person is not guilty. And that action justifies the person. Because the person is declared innocent of the accusations and therefore is free to live their life. So here's the picture. Todd gets drugged in front of God in court. And Satan is accusing me of the things I've done. So he's doing that with each one of us. Okay? And he says, look at what Todd has done. Look at how Todd has messed up. And Jesus stands up and says, I paid that price. That has been covered. Okay? That's the picture of justification. The difference is, is that God is the judge. And we're standing in God's courtroom. And without the work of Jesus Christ, we're really guilty. All of us are guilty. We'd fall short. And according to the Bible, all humans, every single one of us, we've broken God's laws, whether intentionally or unintentionally. We've ignored God's direction 
We've rejected God's role in our life. Romans talks about the fact that the entire human race has rebelled against the Creator. And so all of us stand guilty. And Jesus Christ came down to this earth and he paid a price. And we have been justified. So when Satan drags us in court, Jesus says, I covered that. I covered that. And that's the beautiful picture here. Because the judge does something unimaginable. The judge sends his own son to live a perfect life and to pay that price. He experienced death in our place. And his innocent status is transferred to us. Such a powerful thing. And this is what it means to be justified before God. It means to be made right with God. That God's Son has taken upon himself the penalty of our sins. And that's what Romans 5.1 talks about. It's called the peace with God. This means that once we are justified through our faith in Jesus Christ, we never need to be justified before God again. We will never again stand guilty in God's courtroom if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Our status before God has become permanently altered. However, the key, of course, is trusting in the merits of Jesus Christ's life, his death, his resurrection. And that's why Romans says, and says, being justified through faith. It's a continuous growing in our life. There are many people who intellectually believe that Jesus died for human sin, but they have never personally received the benefits of Christ's death in their own life by faith. And therefore, they believe what they believe is true, but they have not trusted in it. And perhaps, maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you need to take that step of faith. If we confess our sins, as 1 John 1, 9 says, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So why would we need forgiveness if we have peace with God through our faith in Christ. When we sin as Christians, our status before God is unchanged, but suddenly, in our experience, we feel distance from God. Okay? Sin has breached our closeness with God. Is placed a barrier between us and God. And so when we confess our sins as followers of Christ, we're not asking to be justified again, but we need to be cleansed. We need to once again experience the forgiveness that is already ours through justification. 
And that's what it's like when we sin. Our spiritual birth certificate does not change. But our distance and our relationship with God does. And so John tells us to confess our sins regularly in prayer. He means to name our failures before God in prayer. And if we confess our sins by actually naming our sins to God in prayer, agreeing with God that they were wrong and asking for cleansing. When we do this, we experience forgiveness. Because our conscience is clean of the stain of sin. I believe it is this experiential aspect of forgiveness that Jesus is talking about in the Lord's Prayer. Through prayer, we experience God's forgiveness of our failures. God is not saying this. And I'll repeat it. He's not saying this. If you don't forgive people, you will lose your justification. That is not what he's saying. Or if you don't forgive people, you will cease to be a Christian. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, if you don't forgive, you won't experience my forgiveness. Now, again, the whole discussion really applies to the person who has already become a follower of Jesus. That's why he was teaching his disciples a model on how to pray. And none of this will work, and none of this makes sense until you receive God's justification, that forgiven status, before God by trusting in Jesus Christ. If you haven't experienced that, You just won't understand what it means to forgive or to even ask for forgiveness until we open our hearts and invite Jesus to come in to our lives. We're not even able to begin to experience that. Now I want us to take a look at extending forgiveness to others because that's what he says. Forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Matthew chapter 18 talks a lot about this. Matthew chapter 18, and if you take a look at verses 21 to 35, it speaks a lot about this. And let me just read this for you. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And then he gives an answer. Peter thinks it's a pretty good answer. Up to seven times? And then Jesus answered. He said, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And then he goes into a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And as he began to set The settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 
And the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But then that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now catch the picture here. This man did not experience justification. He didn't understand what this was all about. And so he finds a man who owes him a few bucks. And he grabs him and begins to choke him. (laughs) Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and told their master everything that happened. And then the master called in the servant. You wicked servant, he said. I I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Since you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you. And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all that he owed. And verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This prayer that Jesus is modeling and teaching the disciples teaches us that there's an important connection between experiencing God's forgiveness and extending forgiveness to other people. And we can't ignore this connection because it's strong. Jesus was saying that. Whenever we pray for forgiveness as Christians, as Christ followers, we're also praying as we forgive those who sin against us. Here's what we learn. Through prayer, we express forgiveness of those who hurt us. Now, there is a difference between a person who is sorry for what they have done to us and a person who is not. How forgiveness live differs depending on the nature of the sin against us and whether the person is truly sorry. However, in neither case, forgiveness is still necessary. Whether the person is repentant for their sin or whether they are not, how it is expressed will differ. But ultimately, Jesus calls us to forgive everyone who sins against us. Not just those who are sorry. Now I would like to just say a little bit more about why forgiveness is so necessary in our spiritual life and what it's like. Matthew 18, 21. Peter He asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who sinned against me? Now, the Jewish teaching 
of the rabbis at this time required devoted Jewish people to forgive three times. And therefore, Peter figured he was going the second mile when he said up to seven times. Like, the Jewish custom was three, all right? So if Colleen burnt the roast three times, I could forgive her, and after that, forget it. Okay? Peter thought, well, I'll go a little bit longer, seven times. However, Jesus' answer was staggering because he says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, forgive people as many times as it takes. There is no limit. And then Jesus tells the story. And the story is really powerful. And the disciples would have gotten it. And the people that would have heard that around them would have got it. This man owed the king millions and millions of dollars in our world today. It's even hard to imagine that someone could occur, accumulate that much debt. And there was no bankruptcy back then. And so if you couldn't pay your bills, you and the family were sold into slavery to pay the debt and everything that you had. And so the servant falls down on his knees and begs for forgiveness. And the servant's slate was wiped clean of all the debt that he owed. And then this guy went out and he found somebody that owed him 50 bucks. And he grabbed him by the neck and he started choking him and shaking him. He did not experience forgiveness. He didn't experience the justification that the king just had done upon him. He didn't get it. Intellectually, he got it. Okay, my, I'm slate. I don't owe that back. Intellectually, I got it. He didn't experience it in his heart. He didn't know what that really, really meant. And God forgives us even though we could never repay the debt. Okay? God forgave us. And the second servant is a picture of all those who sinned against us. All those who have done us wrong. And we can come up with a good list. Let me tell you this. This story is not teaching that Christ followers, Christians, lose their salvation if they refuse to forgive. That's not what it's teaching. Okay? It is teaching us that misery and suffering awaits those who refuse to forgive. Okay? Let me repeat that. It is teaching us that misery and suffering awaits those who refuse to forgive. You see, forgiveness 
is a response to God's grace in our life. The king forgave this servant millions and millions of dollars. It represents God's gracious forgiveness of our sins. Every sin you and I commit in our lifetime against God is forgiven. Sometimes we use the phrase like this. Find it in your heart to forgive. Find it in your heart to forgive. If you look for resources to forgive in your heart, of that phrase, find it in your heart to forgive. If you look for resources to forgive in your heart, you're going to be looking for a very, very long time. There is no forgiveness in my heart unless it is placed there by God's grace. That's what Jesus is teaching. Until you truly realize the extent of your sin against God and the incredible grace that he has shown on each and every one of us, you will find it difficult to forgive other people. And that's why those that do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior look at us and they find it difficult to understand and difficult to forgive. They haven't experienced God's forgiveness of their own sin in their own life. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower here this morning, and you're having difficult forgiving someone, I want to suggest to you to do something very daring. I want to suggest that you spend time in prayer before God and ask God this. So write this down. Show me how my sin looks to you. Show me how my sin looks to you. Ask God to help you see the extent of your own failures. Of how your sin was carried by Jesus to the cross. You see, all of us and I wrestle with this too, have a tendency to think that we just need a little jump start. That our sins were just a minor obstacle between us and God. However, when we begin to see that the real extent of our own sins, then we begin to appreciate God's grace more fully. And that enables us to forgive. You see, forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer as he's teaching is a response to God's grace in our own lives. Forgiveness is also for our ultimate good. When people hurt us and we refuse to forgive that person's sin committed against us, That person's sin continues to victimize us day after day. 
week after week, year after year. Uh, We find ourselves obsessed with hurt and anguish, overcome with feelings of bitterness and vengeance. And the story Jesus told of the unforgiving servant being tortured in prison, I think, is an apt description of the unforgiving Christian. It's what we go through. It's what we wrestle with. And we're going to dive more into this months down the road. We're just looking here at the Lord's Prayer. You see, bitterness is like a toxic waste. It seeps into our lives and it contaminates everything it touches until our thoughts and our relationships and our emotions are contaminated by bitterness. And that's where Satan wants to put us. That's where Satan wants us because now we're out of commission. Now our relationship with God has been severed. We're not close with him anymore. We're not having those close talks anymore. We're dealing with shame. We're dealing with guilt. That's where Satan wants us to be. That's where he wants us to live. And our lives revolve around the obsession to get the person back. Even in the medical field, there have been different recordings on the physical effects of unforgiveness. And they found that unforgiveness even cuts our lives short because it causes health, our health to fail. There's been stories where a person has been in a fetal position and an adult person in bed can't move until they renounce that, until they give it to the Lord and they actually forgive, and all of a sudden that person is able to stand up again. It cripples us physically even. Forgiveness is both a choice and a process. It begins as a choice not to hold the person's sin against them. But it's a process of reminding myself of that decision again and again and again. Every time. Every time Satan throws it in my thoughts, brings that up, it's a process. It means that I make the choice to forgive and then my emotions will eventually follow. And therefore we say this, I choose to forgive when a negative emotion crops up. I choose to submit those feelings to God and my decision to forgive. It's both a choice and a process. Also, forgiveness is personal, not structural. What I mean by that is only individuals, only individual people can forgive sins committed against them. Nowhere in the Bible are structures like governments or courts commanded to forgive crimes and evil. In fact, the Bible calls human government an agent of God's judgment against those 
who do evil in our world. This applies to our court systems, to our military, and so forth. Nowhere are government structures commanded to forgive because forgiveness is a personal issue, not a structural issue. This means it is possible to forgive. It also want to see the person face to face. Let me give you an illustration of this. A woman is held at gunpoint during a bank robbery. And the bank robber sinned against her. And she will ultimately need to come to some point of forgiveness, of letting go to move on. However, that does not mean that the court that the bank robber stands before is bound to let her go. Because it's the court's role in God's plan to punish the act. Okay? So the woman can choose to forgive, but also be relieved that the court sentenced him to prison for his actions. That is forgiveness. Let me quickly tell you what forgiveness is not as we go through this. Forgiveness is not pretending something evil is actually good. That is not what the Lord is saying here. That's not what his word says. Forgiveness is not pretending something evil is actually good. Sometimes in the face of evil, we try to find the good in it. Forgiveness does not mean that we minimize the evil in sins against us. That's not what it's saying. Forgiveness is also not incompatible with justice. When we forgive, we release people into the hands of God for him to deal with. Therefore, we trust them into the hands of the perfect judge, the creator of heaven, the earth, and the source of every good gift. We know that people's sins set into motion certain consequences that no one can stop. Our forgiveness means we choose to absorb the effects of their sin against our lives. But it does not mean those consequences are stopped. I say this because we live in a very, very broken world today. And some of you, maybe, and maybe you know some friends, that things have happened to them. Very bad things. Things that are wrong. And as they work through forgiveness, they're forgiving, but that doesn't mean that there's not consequences of that in our court systems. Doesn't mean that that can't happen. No, now you forgive, so you can't charge. That's not what forgiveness is about. Finally, forgiveness is not a way to earn our forgiveness before God. It's not a way to earn brownie points with God. 
Instead, it's a way to grow in our experience of God's grace. And so as we come back to this Lord's Prayer, in these few short words, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Forgiveness is an important part of prayer. Both receiving forgiveness and extending forgiveness. It's a radical prayer. Something that is not thought of if you go through it real fast. But it's a radical prayer. As we express our forgiveness to those who have hurt us to those that have done us wrong, to those that have looked at us the wrong way. Whether it be indirectly or directly, sometimes they don't even know that they have hurt us. What do we do with that? Satan wants us to keep up a telly list, flip the paper over and keep up making check marks against that person. But Jesus modeled this prayer and showed this prayer to his disciples. A powerful, radical prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. Let me just close with prayer here. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this prayer that you have given to us as a model, as a template. Lord, it's it's tough stuff. We can't do it by ourselves. We need your spirit working in us daily, moment by moment. Lord, help us be examples and be lights for you to the world around us, looking, watching. Lord, we thank you for being our all-powerful God, the rock in which we can stand where we get our strength to be able to do all this. I pray and ask things in your name. Amen.